podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is a cold Thursday, November the 5th. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is, of course, a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off your hardware or software subscription. How are we all today? Uh, It's a joyous day, unless you're a Manchester United fan. Uh, in which case you're probably a little bit salty. Uh, Champions League action over the last two nights, so we'll do a quick bounce back through those. Uh, Tuesday night, Man City hosted Olympiacos and beat them quite comfortably. Um, I thought this was one of City's more adventurous performances of the season in terms of how they played, the style of football, the calibre of chances they were creating. I thought City were very, very good. Um, Ferran Torres continues to impress playing in that central role in the front three, which isn't a natural position for him. It will be interesting to see if that's where Pep plans to use him long-term. I genuinely thought that Sterling would be the one that would play in that position while Aguero and uh, Gabriel Jesus were out, but Ferran Torres has stepped up to the mark and done very, very well. Obviously, City made some changes to the team that played at the weekend. Um, Both centre-backs changed. He played Stones and Ake in this game, and They look comfortable. They look solid together. Uh, They seem to have a decent enough understanding early on. Zinchenko played at left back. Phil Foden came into midfield. And uh, look, I'm a big, big fan. I think think that guy is really, really special. I think he's going to be a massive part of Manchester City's future and of England's future as long as he steers clear of injuries. I think he can become the player that we all thought that Jack Wiltshire would become. He has that level of talent. He has that style of play that type of game, he's a very, very good footballer. And then up front, it was the same front three that had started against Sheffield United, Mares, Torres and Sterling. And it seems to work for them. You know, creativity, pace, movement, it is a, it is a good front three. Um, Gabby Jesus coming back after the injury is, is massive for them ahead of the Liverpool game. So I think they'll be very, very happy with their performance, with the results, uh, and and with getting him back. And of course, with just getting minutes for certain players who haven't played a whole bunch to this point in the season. Liverpool travelled to Atalanta at the same time, and I I thought this was going to be the toughest game they'd have in the group stage. Um, Atalanta, obviously, exceptionally good going forward, but Liverpool wiped the floor with them. The first... 10 minutes or so, they looked like they might have some trouble with Atalanta's movement, with the creativity, with the positional rotations. But once uh, Diogo Jota got the first goal, it was one-way traffic after that. A 5-0 win for Liverpool. Jota with the hat-trick. Salah and Mane with goals just after the half. And that's really what killed that game. It was 2-0 at half-time. A wise man once said 2-0 is a dangerous lead. Liverpool were 4-0 up four minutes into the second half. 
Um, and that was the game put to bed. They get the Jota goal a couple of minutes later. And then it's just cruise control from there. They're able to take off some players, rest some players, give other players like Costas Timicus and Nico Williams a run out, get them some experience, just get them some minutes on the pitch. So all in all, a great night for Liverpool. Uh, one of the best performances of the season. The first time they've won away in, in Italy for quite a while. Um, so really, really impressive. I think um, it sets them up well for this this coming weekend. Whether or not they play the same team, I don't know. I think I've got a Twitter question today about about part of that. So we'll go through those in a little bit. Uh, last night then, Chelsea hosted um, Stad Ren. And again, a really good performance from Chelsea. Now, helped by the fact that Ren had a man sent off after 40 minutes. Helped by the fact that Camavinga wasn't in the team. But Chelsea looked good. They played very, very, very well. Uh, run out a comfortable 3-0 win. Two goals from Werner, both from the penalty spot. Tammy Abraham goal as well to, to round things off. Winning is a good habit to get into. And Chelsea are starting to find in that habit. Now, they will have much tougher games to come, but win the games that you can win. That's, you know, the basics. Win the games that you can win, and that was a winnable game for them. They did it comfortably. They'll be happy with that performance, and they should be. Um, they'll be very happy with the result, and again, they should be. It sets them up nicely in their group. Um, obviously, themselves and Sevilla now top on seven points. Crows and Darren Renz both on one point. So, it does look likely that Chelsea and uh, and Sevilla will be the two teams that will come through from their group. Liverpool topped their group with nine points. Ajax and Atalanta basically battling for second place. If Liverpool win their next game um, at home to Atalanta, you would expect that will be them through. They still have to go to Mitlian, so you'd expect that will be three points there as well. City topping their group three wins from three. A, a battle between Porto, Olympiacos and Marseille to, to follow them through into the knockout stages. And then there's Manchester United, who still top their group. Six points from three games played. But their performance last night was genuinely dreadful. Um, defensively, they were all over the place. The first goal for Besiktas was an embarrassment from any logical point of view. I mean, Demba Ba is about 114 years of age. And how he is able to run at the very slow speed he ran at, half the length of the field, and nobody was near him. I mean, when he picked that ball up, he was probably, I would say, 20 yards from the nearest Manchester United player. Maybe not full, maybe not 20, maybe 15. But he had a massive gap. Nemanja Matic almost caused him. Almost caught him, rather. There are houses that move more over the course of a year than Nemanja Matic. Matic nearly cost him. If if Luke Shaw or anybody with a bit of pace had been just deeper, just in a proper defensive position, they would have caught him easily and they would have stopped that goal. The second goal is not a whole lot better. Besiktas somehow managed to have two men over in United's penalty area. United's defense is all at sea. 
Harry Maguire looks completely lost. You do have to wonder at what point does the pressure really start to mount on Ollie? Last night he changed the team up a little bit. Dean Henderson played in goal. Chunzabi came in centre back, having done really well uh, in his last outing. It's a strange decision to play a double pivot of Van de Beek and um, Matic. Bizarre decision. Um, and then, you know, sort of what you'd expect was the front four, Juan Mata playing on the right instead of Greenwood. But, you know, in that back three, in that, sorry, that back four, there are three quick players, Juan Bissaka, Tuanzabi, and Matic. The fact that none of them are anywhere close to Demba Ba when he picks that ball up. To the point where Nemanja Matic is by far the closest player to him as he takes his shot. It's just, you have to wonder what kind of coaching these players are getting. Now, I have seen an uptick in the number of Manchester United fans who are kind of at the end of their wick after last night. And it's not that losing to Besiktas is, you know, the end of the world, but they did lose to the two teams you beat. You know, they lost to PSG, they lost to Leipzig, and they haven't looked particularly good in this year's Champions League. You have looked good. United have looked good. That's where they've kind of been making up for their atrocious league form. They were awful last night. Clueless in attack, lost in defence. A midfield that just was never, ever going to work. Leipzig beat PSG in the other game to put real pressure on. And, and what that's going to do is it's also going to put pressure on Thomas Tuchel. And if PSG were to say to Thomas Tuchel, well, you're only here because we thought you could win the Champions League, you're not going to do that, so goodbye, they could very easily grab Pochettino before you do. And Pochettino has been clear in the past that that is his dream job. Now, Allegri is still out there, so United could go for him if they decide to move on from Ali. And, and in truth, Allegri should be option A because look at his track record. Won a title at Milan when he didn't have the best team. You know, fair enough, he did have the best team with Juve, but five titles in a row? Very, very impressive. Two Champions League finals. You'd have to say Allegri should be the number one target. Now, whether or not he wants to come to England is another thing. He may not. Whether he even wants to manage again is another thing. I mean, he decided to walk away from Juventus. So maybe he just doesn't want to manage anymore. But if Pochettino is your choice, you may have to move quickly because somebody else will snap him up. Um... Yeah, all in all, a dreadful, dreadful night for United. Really, really disappointing performance. Really, really bizarre decision from Ollie with that starting 11. Right, so it is Thursday. So Thursday is now Twitter Thursday. Uh, that's what I've decided. So I asked for your questions today. Um, so first question from uh, Bernadette Strickland. Um what did Molly think of United's defending on the goals last night and how long until Ollie gets sacked? Now, Molly is my dog, for those that don't know. 
Um, I'll pop a picture of her up on Twitter later on so you can enjoy the lunacy of, of, of what she is. Um, she was not impressed. She was not impressed at all by the defending. Uh, but like I say, I, I was, it was an atrocity. It was an atrocity. And in terms of how long until Ollie gets sacked, I, I don't know. I think it's quite a strange one because obviously the win over Leipzig was, was fantastic. The win over PSG in Paris was good. The league form has been dreadful, but he can point to a top three finish last season. Now, again, as I've said, I, I think that's largely due to the rest of the league getting worse rather than United improving or anything like that. But he can point to that. You also have the situation where he's not getting criticized in the media. Pundits are finding other things to criticize, be it the players or Ed Woodward or Matt Judge or the owners. And look, all of these individuals and collective groups deserve criticism without question. Everything at United really needs to change from the top down. But it will it will just get to the point where Ollie will be the one that gets moved on because it's what they've done in the past. Like when Ferguson retired and David Gill left, it created this massive power vacuum at United. And it was very clear from when Ed Woodward took over from David Gill that his plan was to increase his share of the power and decrease the manager's share of the power. And they pointed David Moyes, and he had quite limited power at the club. And when things weren't going well, they sacked him straight away. And then Van Hal came in. And again, limited power at the club. Did pretty well. Not ideal, not brilliant, but pretty well. Wasted some money, obviously, because it's United. It's what they do. But when things didn't go exactly as they wanted and they thought they could get Mourinho, they sacked him. And then they got Mourinho. And then it didn't go the way they wanted and they sacked him. And then, to me... Woodward decided he wanted a little bit more power. So he increased his stranglehold on the club, appoints Ollie, who I think is just a yes man. And we are where we are. Well, when things have gone wrong, the default has been to sack the manager. That's what they've done. It's what Woodward has done. He has not looked to change the structure at the club. There's still no director of football. There's no technical director. Many of the other important roles at the club are still filled by people that are there since the Ferguson era. So I think Woodward, if if the criticism of Woodward gets to a point, he will fire Ollie. The only other way he'll do it is if the criticism of Ollie gets to a very high octave. And that's not happening at the moment. That is just not happening. He's getting protection from his friends in the media. He's getting a free pass as the players get get the brunt of the criticism. But 
yeah, the players are not playing well, but who's coaching the players? Who's setting them up in these tactical systems? This, to me, looked like the classic example of a manager not doing the homework, not properly planning for a game, overlooking their opposition, and thinking the talent would override, and, and it didn't. Um, Neil Devlin, did Tony Soprano die at the end? I don't know. I'd need to re-watch it and, and properly make a judgment call. Uh, fo- footy, scribbler, footy scribblers. F- footy scribblers. Uh, which director of football currently working would you have at Manchester United to solve their issues? It's an interesting one. I think Michael Imanalo, who was the former director of football at Chelsea, was then at Monaco. I think he would be a good option. He's currently out of work. I think he would be a good option. He's got a very, very good eye for talent. He's not the type who throws his weight around. He's not the type who gets involved in you know, little battles with the manager. He is very much there to support the manager. He understands his role. And like I say, very, very good eye for talent, a good negotiator. Also, takes a pretty hard line with certain things. Doesn't allow agents to bully him. Uh, One of the things he was noted for when he was at Chelsea was how strong he was in negotiations when agents would try and strong-arm Chelsea because they knew they had plenty of money. Imanello would say no. And he walked away from a couple of notable deals over agents demanding either massive agent fees or massive backloaded contracts where, you know, after two years, their player would all of a sudden get a random 30% raise and things like that. So he would be one I'd certainly consider. Given his knowledge of the Premier League, um, his availability is that he, he can start tomorrow. You call him now, he starts tomorrow. So he's one I would strongly consider. Um, Latest underscore footy, best PL defender ever, Vidic or Terry? Neither. I mean, of those two, Vidic, but neither is the answer to best ever. Um, Lee Cox asks, we have sports channels that show Premier League matches with crowd noise or no crowd noise. How about an R-rated option that has mics on the referee to improve ratings and provide greater transparency? I kind of like this. And and look, watching the Liverpool-Atalanta game the other night on BT with the crowd noise off, it was notable just how loud the managers are and how, how much you can hear. And Fletch and Maka kept saying during the game, you know, as long as they don't swear, as long as they don't swear. And I like the idea that there could be an audio option where there can be swearing if there needs to be swearing. You don't have to be apologizing for saying a curse word or for even worse for somebody else saying a curse word. It is it is one of my gripes about Premier League coverage and television in general. I understand there are many situations where where swearing is completely unnecessary and needs to be apologized for. 
However, football is not one of those things. There are times when swearing is necessary. So, yeah, I would really like to see that. I would also be very curious to have the referees mic'd properly, to hear what players say to them, what they say to players, what they say to each other as well, especially when it comes to VAR. I would very much like to hear a lot of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I do like that option, Lee. Um, Andy the Red 83, if you had the choice for Liverpool to sign one of Mbappe or Haaland in the summer, who would you go for and why? And if Ginny goes in the summer, who would it be his ideal replacement if Liverpool sign a new midfielder? Honestly, I think I would go for Haaland. And I, I understand that Mbappe is the better player, the bigger star, etc., etc. But I, there's just something about Haaland that I really want to see in Liverpool shirt. And the fact that he seems to be a big fan of Liverpool, not not necessarily a supporter of Liverpool, but you see the videos going round of when Liverpool played Salzburg in the Champions League, how excited he was at the draw, how excited he was to be at Anfield. Um, him and Dominic Sosbalaya, the Hungarian who's still at Salzburg, I want to see those two at Liverpool. And Liverpool would sign the pair of them for a fraction of what Mbappe would cost. So, yeah, that I would go for Haaland. Um, I think... I think he's just guaranteed goals. I'm sure Mbappe is as well. But Haaland will be cheaper. And I think it better fit for how Liverpool play. Uh, and as for Wijnaldum, I really like the idea of going for David Alaba. Um, there's a lot of talk that Liverpool could move for him this January and in- initially use him as central defensive cover. And that would be ideal until Van Dijk gets back and you can buy whoever you want in the summer. And then... Come next season, he can be centre-back cover, left-back cover, and starting midfielder if you want him to be. He plays midfield for his national team and always has. He's played midfield a whole bunch for Bayern. He's very, very good in the ball. I think he'd be a great successor to Ginny Wijnaldum in there. Um, But my dream midfielder is Saul. If I could pick anyone in the world for, for Liverpool to sign, it would be Saul. So I hope that answers your question. Um, Adam Hanlon asks when do we use Jota and when do we use Bobby who would you go for versus City would you use both of them in 4-2-3-1 what is your options on our best 11 when all are fit for City I would go with Bobby because I think he's got a track record of doing very well against them I would stick to 4-3-3 I do want to see us transition to more of a 4-2-3-1, type situation over the next couple of years. Um, well, I say that, I mean over the next 12 months. Um, in terms of the best 11 when all are fit, so everybody's fit. Allison, Trent, Gomez, Vir- Virgil, Robbo. Now, I don't want to debate the, you know, the Gomez versus Mata thing. Gomez Virgil is the better partnership. Um, Fabinho and Thiago and Wijnaldum. I think that's the best midfield three. And I still think you have to go Salah, 
Firmino, Mane, even with Firmino out of form the way he is, I still think you go with him. I think Jot is just, you know, the 12th man coming off the bench. Um, Nina underscore LFC asks, would you start Jota this weekend? Uh, no, I, I would start Firmino. I genuinely would. Um, Nick Turner asks, do you think Southampton might get raided at the end of the season? Perhaps Ings and Ward-Prowse. And who could replace those two if they left? And it is a really good question. I, I There's a possibility they could get raided. It's hard to see where Danny Ings would go. Because if you look at, like, he's only really likely to leave for a step up. Well, Liverpool don't need him. City don't need him. Spurs don't need him. Arsenal, you could argue, he's certainly more of a goal scorer than Lacazette. Does he suit the style of play, though? How would him and Aubameyang work? Ings likes to drop out to that left-hand side quite a bit. So that could be that could be difficult. And Chelsea don't need him. Um, United, they don't need him either. I don't know that... Well, like Everton's system, they're playing Calvert-Lewin up front on his own. I don't know that he would necessarily want that move. I mean, if if Leicester wanted to replace Vardy, then Ings would be an option. But you know, they're a better team. Would he see it as a as a step up in his career? I'm not sure. He he. I my read on things is that Danny Ings is very very happy at Southampton. Um, I don't see that there is a move for him, a likely Premier League move for him. I think if Danny Ings is to move, it would be abroad. And I don't know that he would have the desire to move abroad. Ward-Prowse, he's a different one. If Arsenal were going to stick playing wing-backs, James Ward-Prowse at right wing-back would be a hell of a signing. Not a, not a natural fit for him, but he'd be really, really good there. Um, but again, it, it is just what clubs would want him and what clubs could afford the fee. And it doesn't look to me like there's a, a crossover between those two categories. There's a bunch of clubs could afford the fee. There are definitely clubs in the Premier League that would want James Ward-Prowse. I just don't know that there's any club that's in both lists. So, no, I don't think they will get rated for those two. I, maybe they'll get an offer for one, but I, I have doubts. In terms of replacing them, it is tough. I mean, Ings is quite a unique striker he plays a very different style of number nine to a lot of others if saints sold him they'd obviously get big money but it it is a question of where do you go and where do you try and spend that like i don't see too many natural fits like someone like mope could be a good fit stylistically he has a similar game to Danny Ings, but doesn't have Ings as aggressiveness, doesn't have that little bit of needle in him, and isn't as good a finisher. Maybe you could look at Lise Mousset, but again, not the same kind of finisher. It's difficult. It is difficult to say 
who you would go and get. I mean, for me, I don't know if this player would be willing to join Southampton, but Bellotti from Torino is the one I would go for. He's the one I think is most similar to Ings. He's the one I think would probably have the best opportunity to re- replicate Ings's goal output. Now, Bellotti has had a couple of down seasons at Torino, but when he was at his very best, which is only two, two three years ago, he was banging in goals in Serie A. Bellotti is who I would go for to replace Ings if if that was what I needed to do. And in terms of replacing Ward-Prowse, I mean, there's two sides to this. There's the player he is and there's the set-piece take, taker that he is. And I don't think there's many players similar to him who take set-pieces like him. Florian Newhouse of uh, Gladback is the player I would go for. He's not on Ward-Prowse's level as a set-piece taker. I think he's going to be a better player. I think he's pretty much already at the same level as Ward-Prowse. I've been a couple of years younger. And I think he's he's got more more room to grow. So Florian Newhouse and, and Andrea Bellotti are the two uh, that I would go for. Uh, Michael Moral Twitterson um, asks, Fell throws, what are the point? That's a really good question. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the point of foul throws is meant to be at this point. I can understand, like, in certain circumstances that, yes, you do need to have a, you know, a structured way to throw throw the ball back in on, into play. And you have to ensure that players are throwing it in somewhat the correct manner. But this thing of, you know, having to plant your feet and, you know, uh, I think it's nonsense. I genuinely do. There's very little that winds me up more. And that, as you may be aware, a lot of things wind me up. But very little winds me up more than, number one, seeing a foul throw. And then just the needlessness of it. Like, who cares? Nobody gains a big advantage from a foul throw. So, just bin off the foul throw rule. Um, Sai, who's at the engage role, asks your wine album place. And I do think David Alaba, but if it was if I had all the money, Saul would be the one. Um, Michael Rath, Michael, uh, the Merseyside M M&M, and M, the Mersey M M&M. and M. Uh, name the England internationals top five strikers over the last 30 years if injuries weren't a factor. I like that. So Shearer's there anyway, and obviously Rooney's there anyway, I, I think. I can't imagine that you, you could make an argument against either of them. I think I think Owen I think Owen would be easily the all-time record goal scorer if he hadn't had the injuries and if Fabio Pe- Fabio Capello hadn't decided to basically make him retire from international football at 26 or whatever age he was. I think Owen is definitely there. I think Kane for sure. I think Daniel Sturridge. Daniel Sturridge is the most talented English striker I've ever seen. And I include Owen, Fowler, Shearer, the lot. In terms of sheer natural talent, Daniel Sturridge is on a different level. He had everything to his game. Absolutely everything. He could play as a number nine. He could play as a number 10. 
could play out wide, he could lead the line, could play just off the striker, had the pace to run in behind, but could hold the ball up. Link up play was great. Hold up play was great. Could beat a man on the dribble. Really good passer of the ball. Great crosser. Could cut in from both wings. Had just the most incredible ability to generate power with no backlift that I've ever seen. Fully fit, Daniel Sturridge is the most talented English striker I have seen. And I think English football lost out on a real gem with the injuries that he went through. He was so, so special. Just go back and watch that Liverpool team with Sterling, Sturridge and Suarez as the front three and Coutinho in behind. You'll see very little in your life that will fill you with as much joy as watching those four guys play football. They were absolutely sensational together. I would swap the current front three for that front three. If I, could, if I knew I was going to be able to keep them and I knew Sturridge could stay fit, I would take the Sterling's Sterling Sturridge Suarez from three over Salah, Firmino, and Mane. I just think they were so special. Anyway, got lost reminiscing there. So, yeah, uh, Shearer, Rooney, uh, Owen, Kane, and Sturridge. I know some people, Liverpool fans, may may have expected me to name Robbie Fowler. I don't think Fowler ever really kind of clicked at international level. I don't think he really enjoyed international football all that much. So, yeah, unfortunately, um, no Robbie Fowler in my list. Um, Neil Devlin with a soprano question. Just... It's what I have to put up with. So that's what I have to put up with. Um, there is a final one there. Oh, yeah, again, it's, it's Michael, uh, Rat Michael. Probably a bit of a big one, but why don't they televise... Uh, why don't they televise the Premier League scheduling at the start of each season? I think it is just because it's c- computer-generated. So it'll be very boring. It, they just literally l- l- load the names in and it spits back out the schedule. I think that is literally it. Um, in terms of um, why they don't have the finalized schedule in terms of you know days and Sky and BT fixtures, a lot of that is down to having to work with the police um, to finalize dates and times that the police are able to uh, oversee games and things like that. So that's why that happens. Um Yep, that is it. That is all our Twitter questions for today. Thank you to everybody who sent them in. Uh, I think this is going to be every Thursday uh, moving forward. So, um, yeah, just I'll, I'll tweet it out. I'll do it a bit earlier next time before we start this. Um, didn't give myself much time today. Quite late waking up this morning uh, due to staying up last night to watch coverage of the election, which is still not fully decided. So, um We'll wrap up with some news and gossip, as we generally do. Um, 
Erling Haaland does not have a release clause in his contract, says Bayern Munich Chief, Chief Executive Hans-Joachim Watzka. Um, that is contrary to everything that was said at the time of his signing, including by Borussia Dortmund. So I think you're telling Porky Pies, Mr. Watzka. Um, Juventus Chief Football Officer Fabio Paratici has spoken of his admiration for the 27-year-old Manchester United and France midfielder Paul Pogba, who has been linked with a return to the Italian champions. I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has. Um, Chief Football Officer is an interesting title, especially for a man who's objectively bad at his job. Um, Just go and have a look at at the decline in Juventus in terms of the players they've brought in and their... um, their the debt they have accumulated since that man took over. Bayern Munich chairman Karl Heinz Rummenigge says he wants David Alaba to stay at the club, but the decision lies with the player. That is absolutely typical of um, of Rummenigge to try and put the blame on the player. Um, Real Madrid are said to be interested in signing him. You know, a, a whole bunch of clubs are going to be interested in signing him because he's a world class footballer. Uh, the spoofer, the guy with the catchphrase, says that Barcelona could move for Tanguyen and Dembele next summer. Just somebody put that guy in a storage unit and tell him to sleep till next summer. Nobody wants to hear from him with his nonsense. Um, Mikel Arteta has suggested that French centre-back William Saliba could leave on loan in January. Surely at some point he has to be given an opportunity to play, unless he is just an abomination in training. Surely, he has to be given an opportunity at some point. Ajax in Mexico defender Edson Alvarez says he wants to one day join Manchester City. You know, we all have our dreams. Some are smaller than others. Uh, Manchester United missed out on the signing of Musa Diaby in the summer transfer window. How did they miss out on it? He's still where he was, so nobody else signed him. United were never really linked with him. Seems like waffle to me. Uh, United forward Mason Greenwood is expected to return to the England squad on Thursday. Obviously, he was left out last time round as a punishment for his uh, His decision to, vi- to to break the COVID guidelines is what we're going to call it. Uh, talks between Spain defender Sergio Ramos and Real Madrid over a new contract to Nobody cares. The longer they keep him there, the less likely they are to win the Champions League because the guy can't defend anymore. He's become a liability. And uh, give him a five-year contract. There you go. The Premier League will hold talks with broadcasters as to whether it should continue the pay-per-view system following a meeting of all 20 clubs on Thursday. No, they should not continue the pay-per-view system. Like, how hard is it? Nobody is paying for it. The only reason you should keep it going is if secretly you don't want anyone to buy it and you actually want all the money to go to charity. That's the only reason you should keep it going. Um... Former Aston Villa forward Gabby Agbon Lahore says a new contract for Scotland midfielder John McGinn will be the next major deal announced by the club. 
So is Gabby Agbon Lahore uh, an in the know now? Is that where where he is? He's just become an in the know. That's magnificent. Probably shouldn't be giving club secrets out if you actually care about your club, but, you know, have at it, Gabby. Good stuff. Talked a bunch of nonsense recently. Ended up looking like a fool. Uh, Leeds United owner Andrea Radrizani it says he is open to a multi-club ownership model similar to Red Bull and City Football Group, the parent club company, obviously, of Manchester City. He's not the only one to talk with this. By all accounts, Liverpool's owners are looking at something similar. I'm amazed that Manchester United's never did. Now, not so much the Glazers, but the previous ownership, when it was Martin Edwards and the the two Irish horse trainers, um, Magner and McManus, they had the money to do it at the time, and United were earning such an incredible amount of money, so much more than anyone else, because they'd gone down the commercial path much earlier than anybody else. I was really surprised they didn't try something like that. I know they had a couple of link-ups, like with Royal Antwerp and that, but surprised they didn't do it back then. Obviously, the Glazers won't put any money in anything, so that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it's done properly, I don't necessarily have a big issue with it i don't like i think the city group goes a little bit too far i think there's you know you don't need that many investments in clubs are they 11 or 12 clubs now red bull i think of six or seven i think you, like three or four is probably fine after that i think you you know are you really able to properly look after each of those clubs and look after the best interests of each of those clubs? And do you even care about the best interests of those clubs at that point? I have doubts that you do. Um, But he's done a great job since taking over at Leeds United. And um, if he were to do the same at one or two other clubs and appoint the right people as he has at Leeds, I, I wouldn't have a major issue with it. And I think it could benefit Leeds as well in the long run. Um, And that's it. That is me for today. Thank you as always to producer Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. And thank you to you, as always, for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Have yourself a safe and wonderful evening. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.